the word of our Lord from the epistle to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making a request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. In this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with all of the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, was lifted high upon the cross so that he might draw the whole world to himself. Mercifully grant that we, who glory in the mystery of our redemption, may have grace to take up our cross and to follow him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. The emblem of our faith is the cross. The most widely recognized religious symbol in the entire world and throughout history The cross reminds us of suffering and shame as the hymn, the old rugged cross, reminds us because it is an emblem of suffering and shame. It reminds us of the great suffering that was our Lord's upon the cross. In fact, the word crucifixion was a coined word to describe the suffering of the cross. It is an emblem of judgment and rejection. Only the worst of offenders would have died upon the cross in the ancient world. And not only that, only those outside of Romans' citizenry could be killed upon the cross. Because it was for those on the outside. It was for those who were rejected and those who were judged to be heinous criminals. But for the church, the cross is indeed a reminder of Christ's great suffering. It was indeed a reminder of that shameful way of dying. It, was, it, was, it is a reminder of, of the judgment that Christ bore in our behalf and the rejection that he tasted as he was abandoned and as he was put outside the city. But it's a reminder also of our great rescue. 
It is an emblem of rescue and redemption. It's, it is an emblem of salvation. It is an emblem of redemption and ransom. And it is a, an emblem of love, the great love, the great passionate love that God has for His people. As David read this morning, Christ said, He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but He came into the world to be high lifted up so that He could draw the world to Himself. And it was because of the great love that God has for the world that He sent His Son. It was because of the great love and mercy and passion that Jesus has for those who He created that He was willing to come and to live to suffer, and to die. The cross is indeed the emblem of our faith. It tells us of the great love that God has for us in that He would rescue us, that He would be rejected, that He would, be, that he would bear our judgment that he would taste the shame and suffering that it is to be rejected by his own people. The cross is the emblem of our faith. And it is the emblem that marks this season of Lent. Lent is that season that comes just prior to Easter and it's the most ancient of liturgical seasons. In the history of our faith, Lent came before Advent. The celebration of Easter came before the celebration of Christmas. The earliest of believers celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, which is what Easter is all about, on a weekly basis. That's why they met on Sunday mornings. They would meet in the synagogues on Saturday evenings, and they would meet... or. Friday evenings and Saturday mornings, and they would, they would meet uh, together in homes and together in, in private places to celebrate the risenness of Jesus every Sunday, reminding one another that Christ was among them, for He was raised from the dead, and He sent His Spirit to dwell in them and among them. And so very early on, the day was marked out in, the, in the, the annual celebrations of the church to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus in a, in a grand and glorious way for Easter, the day of the resurrection. And very early on, they saw that as such a holy and special holiday or holy day that they prepared for that day in an intense way. Often you would have uh, believers being baptized on Easter. And so the season just prior to that was typically a time of preparation, a time of self-searching, a time of, of evaluation, a time of catechism and learning, a time of discipleship that would end in a time of baptism, being brought into the fellowship, the covenantal fellowship of the church. And so very early on what they decided was to spend 40 days in preparation, reminding themselves of Jesus' 40 days of preparation before his ministry. As he went out and fasted, so too the church would fast. As he went out and prayed, so too would the church intensify its, its life of prayer. 
And so Lent, as a season just prior to Easter, it is a time where we gaze upon and reflect upon the cross, where we slowly approach the cross. It's a season of reflection and preparation. It's a season where we spend time thinking, up, thinking about what God has done to rescue us and to redeem us. It's a time of prayer and repentance. It's a time for the church to renew its repentance, to renew its faith in its Lord. And it's a time of fasting and self-denial. That's typically what we associate with Lent. We think about, oh, only fish on Fridays and that sort of thing. But those different forms of fasting, those different forms of abstaining, those are practical ways where we can deny ourselves, where we can keep in check our bodily appetites as we reflect upon and prepare for the cross. The sermon title this morning perhaps makes use of an adjective that you're not very familiar with, cruciform. That word cruciform means shaped like a cross or cross-shaped. It is something that is bearing or having the shape of a cross. And this season of Lent, as we reflect upon the cross, as we reflect upon what Christ has done to redeem us, I'm going to be looking with you at a variety of cruciform aspects of life and this morning it being valentine's day it seems appropriate to begin with cruciform love as paul begins his epistle to the philippians he speaks he may not use the word cruciform but he's speaking of the love that has been shaped by the cross he talks about the great love that he has for the philippians how he bears them within himself in fact, he, he makes note that this is not just some human or earthly love. This is not some natural love. This is not some great relational love that he's developed or mustered up in their behalf. But he says that he actually loves them with all of the affections of Christ. In Paul's mind, how he understands the love that he has for the Philippians, it is God's love through Christ being poured out through him toward them. He considers himself an imprisoned bondservant for the sake of the gospel and specifically for the sake of the Philippians. And he speaks to them about how they share in his bondservantness. They share in the work of the gospel. They have shared, he notes, from the very beginning in his ministry for the gospel. And so he has this deep and abiding love for them. But it's not just His love. It is the love of Christ through Him for their sakes. Paul says that it's right for Him to have this sort of love for them. Because He bears them within His very soul. If we're going to talk about cruciform love, we should be mindful of the New Testament understanding that the love that we have for Christ ought to be evidenced in the love that we have for His church. 
the love that we have for his church at large as the people of God, but also the love that we have for the church here at home, these people of God. This is the immediate context of what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the love that he has for the Philippian believers. That church that, that is not at home to him for he's in prison. Perhaps in Ephesus. Perhaps in Rome. But some distance away. But these are his people. These are people that he's invested his life in. These are people that he bears in his very soul. These are not people that he's never met, that he somehow loves on a cosmic level. These are the people that God has placed in his life. And the love that we have for Christ's church, yes, ought to entail the entire church, the church around the world, and the church even throughout history, because we are the people of God. But it also must touch the road that is home. Not just the people of God, but these people of God. And the love of God shed abroad in our hearts for the sake of His people must also entail a love that is directed toward the world at large. Those outside the church. When Paul is writing to the Philippians, he's writing to people who once were outside. In that great passage in the, his letter to the, to the Ephesians, he said, you were once outside. You, you didn't know what it was to be a people, but God has brought you inside. He's brought you near through the blood of the cross. And so the love of God through us, a, a love that has been shaped by the cross, must be directed toward the world that God has created. The world at large, those outside the church, but also the world again at home. These outside the church. These people that we live beside. These people that our kids play with. These people who work beside us. These people who answer our phone calls on business. These people that we run into at the cafe. These people. It's, it's so easy to talk about loving the church as a whole and not loving the church at home. And it's so easy to talk about loving the world as a whole and not loving the world that is at home. The world that is beside us and the world that is before us. But if our love is to be shaped like the cross, then it must entail all of this. You might be looking at this large arrow and noticing these, this list of different folks that we need to be loving. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, it's too much, it's too big. You can't expect that of me. The good news is that God would say, amen, I agree. It is too much and too big and I can't expect that of you. But it's not too big for Him and it's not too much for Him. And He can expect us to be vessels of His love for others. Again, Paul's not talking to the Philippians about some great affection or feeling that he has for them. 
He's talking to them about the love of Jesus being poured into his life and poured out of his life toward them. Now that's not some impersonal, detached type love where Paul doesn't have any skin in the game. You can hear in his voice. You might think, wait a minute, what are you talking about? These are words on a page. How am I going to hear his voice? Well, go back to, to, to your literature classes from high school. Some of you were recently there. Some of you aren't quite there. You can hear, a, you can hear the voice. You can hear the tone or the passion in, in a text when you read it as it's written. And you can hear in Paul's voice the great passion that he has for the Philippians. He cares about them. He bears them in his very soul. He loves them. He's got an awful lot of skin in the game. They, he considers them his people. He considers them his fellow workers. He considers them those that he's invested in. So just as, just as we are called to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, as Paul notes elsewhere, so also is God able to come and fill up what is lacking in our love for His world and for His church and for one another. Because we can't love in the shape of a cross appropriately. But God through us can God wants to shape our love after the cross. And what does such love look like? Cruciform love is a love that longs. It is a love that is marked by desire. It's a love that misses terribly. A love that can hardly wait. A love that wants to see potential realized. It being Valentine's Day, we are reminded of love. We're reminded of hearts and pinks and reds and flowers and roses, carnations, all those different things. I'm reminded of what life was like before marriage. And I'm reminded of what life was like in those three and a half years immediately before marriage when Lindsay and I were dating and I guess two of those years we were engaged. I remember what it was like living 320 miles away from her. Me being in college, her being in college. Her, first her being in high school and then being in college. But I remember what it was like waiting on emails and waiting to, to receive Valentine's in the mail to go check the Wesley College mailbox and see if there was any mail in there and she was phenomenal uh, phenomenal about writing me letters and I was of course horrible at it uh, writing her letters but I remember that, that time that of being separated by distance, being separated by several, several miles, quite a few several hours of driving driving that was done very foolishly trying to read theology while driving and also while driving way too fast. This confession hour, guys. When I get in the pulpit, it's kind of cathartic, not because I get to get energy out, but I get to confess about myself. But love that is shaped by the cross 
It is a love that longs. It is marked by desire. It wants the beloved. And you hear in Paul's voice that he so deeply misses the Philippians. He longs for them. He wants to see them again. And not only that, he wants to see God's best realized in their lives. He says that he's confident that, 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 that God is going to bring to completion what he's begun in them. His prayer in their behalf is that their love would abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That they would approve those things that are excellent. That they would be sincere and without offense all the way up until the day of Christ. That they would be filled with the fruits of righteousness through Christ. He longs for them and their presence, but he longs also for the, the, the full realization of what God is doing in their lives. His desire is toward them. He cares. And because of that, he sacrifices. Cruciform love sacrifices. It is marked by suffering. We speak of the word passion. And that Latin word means to suffer. Cruciform love suffers not just emotionally, but it suffers also sometimes literally and physically. This day that we call St. Valentine's Day, it is a day that marks a death. It marks the death of St. Valentine, one of the early church fathers. The story of his death goes as such. The Roman emperor was waging many wars and was running low on military recruits. And so he outlawed marriage, thinking, well, if the young men can't get married, they'll go into the military. And Valentine refused, refused to follow that order. And he continued marrying young Christian couples. And when he was found out, he was put to death. Love that is shaped like the cross is a love that will suffer. It is a love that will sacrifice. Love always requires a death. True love, the love of God... The love that is shaped by the cross requires a death to ourselves. For me to truly love you means that I value your interests above my own. For me to truly love my family means that their needs come before my own. Cruciform love sacrifices. 
It's marked by suffering. But cruciform love also fights. You might be thinking, what do you mean, fight? I thought fighting was bad. We tell our kids, don't fight. We tell our kids, you know, keep your hands to yourself. Don't, don't get in a, in a skerfuffle with, with those other kids. Don't be that guy on the, on the playground being mean and roughhousing. But cruciform love, love that is shaped by the cross, does indeed fight because it is a love that is marked by action. It cannot sit back. It cannot idly wait. It fights for what's best for the beloved. It fights for what it believes. Because it is passionately invested in the best for the beloved. It was His great love for us that drove Christ in His great longing to bring us back to Himself, to go to the cross and to sacrifice Himself. But in sacrificing Himself, it was the greatest of all fights, for He was fighting in our behalf. And I wonder, how much fighting are we doing in behalf of others? We so often fight for ourselves. Maybe not physically, but you know, we stand up for ourselves. We look out for our interests. Now how quick are we to stand up for others and to look out for their interests? How 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 prone are we to bear others within ourselves? so that we could wage spiritual warfare in their behalf. Who do we bear in our hearts? How much are we praying for them? How much are we investing in them? How much are we believing in them to see God's best realized in them? When it comes to this concept of cruciform love, Love that is shaped by the cross. As we approach the cross of Jesus this Lenten season, as our eyes look up toward the cross, as we think about the implications of that cross that is before us, and that cross that we are called also to take up and to bear ourselves, we ought to use this season to reflect. We ought to, we ought to use this season to repent of ways in which we've not loved like Christ. And the questions we ought to be asking ourselves concerning our love are what is the quality of my love? What is the shape of my love? Am I loving like Jesus? Is 
Is my love for others merely casual or does it long for them and long to see the best in them? Do I miss others when I don't see them? Do I hurt when I see them falling short of their potential? How much am I willing to sacrifice in their behalf? Am I willing to get involved? Or do I sit back idly waiting? Because if I sit back idly waiting, if I am disinterested, if I'm comfortable in my inactivity, then my love is not being shaped like the cross. In the end, how does the love of Christ, how does His cross, how does His love that is substantiated in the cross, how does it compel me? Or does it even compel me? If we are to love like Jesus, which I think is a non-negotiable for the gospel, then we must be personally invested in others. We must not only just care, but we must care enough to act. We must care enough to fight. We must care enough to sacrifice. If our love is to be shaped like the cross. And if our love isn't, then we've got some repenting to do. Let's pray.